Welcome to the Layers of Design and Life podcast. I'm Emma Merry, and together with my team, we specialise in creating amazing spaces for family homes, whether it be kitchens or bathrooms or a complete top-to-bottom renovation. Hello, and welcome to the Layers of Design and Life with me, Emma Merry, and me, Charlotte DeLima. So it's a very random mix this week because we feel like we haven't given enough airtime to the life side of the podcast. So when we come and sit down and figure out what we're going to talk about is a culmination of voice notes between the two of us for about a week before. So, <laughs> so as you can see, it's all a little bit random. And this was quite a hot topic. I think it was last week or the week before. We were talking about celebrity homes and uh, how clients want to try and emulate that and feeling like it's becoming more and more of a thing. I think back five or six years ago, you saw the odd celebrity home, but it was always quite highbrow in terms of, oh, I don't know, Elton John springs to mind. I don't know why, but you know, like Elton John's home. Hello, an OK magazine you're talking yes, about. Yes, exactly. She's on it. She's got it. So yeah, hello, OK magazine. But I feel like people are becoming more and more aware. There's Architects Digest. They do a section called... Um, AD home tours and if you haven't checked them out you really should there's some amazing properties and tours on there it's great inspiration but one of my favorites one of my all-time favorites was Gwyneth Paltrow's home and I was chatting to Charlotte about it obviously she's not from interiors background and she was like oh why it's amazing and we were just discussing how there's so many different elements in there and she it's like she's gone around Europe with a little basket and picked up all the various different elements of character and beauty from every single country and beautifully crafted and molded it into this lovely home uh, and every choice is very considered and very reminiscent of its origin if that makes sense so have I, I gone have I gone too designing so. no not at all <laughs> I think when you showed me that home I immediately went oh wow we have to talk about this the first picture that got me was the pink marble in the living room oh yeah it just stopped me in my tracks and what I think from someone that's not in interiors was I could appreciate the interiors in her home but she also kept it quite homely in a way you still feel like you could live there it's not like you're living in a magazine or not like Kim Kardashian oh my god <laughs> I'm back to Kim K every week because we are so influenced by <laughs> her and we love her but we could not live in her home where no. there is nothing so it's Gwyneth Paltrow's and it's her main sort of like living room entertaining space and she's got this beautiful bar area which is almost like a pop-up stand you'd see in Selfridges and it's completely crafted out of pink and deep vein Carrera marble even like the bar area the stone the setup and then she's sort of emulated the kind of movement in that marble in the chairs she's got these three organic chairs which sort of sit around this central back around sofa I just feel like the whole place is spot on every single element speaks to the last and makes you feel like yeah you can imagine sitting there but not sitting there sort of scared to put your drink down you can imagine actually sitting there and having a conversation with some friends or of an evening after dinner going in there making a few drinks playing a game of uno no tv to be seen so we won't discuss that yeah and even like the light fixtures that she's used there she's got this intricate i can't remember who the designer is i will put it in the show notes but um this specialist lighting designer where there's like nine pendant and they're all connected. It's like a piece of art. So when you look at it, there's not a lot else in that room that's really of interest. There's no actual art on the wall, I don't think. I think there's one big painting. But that is a central piece. So she has made the furniture double up as points of interest 
visually as well as uh, they do a functional job as well as a visual job. Does that make sense? Yeah, and she's paired it with quite industrial crittle doors and the flooring is quite pared back. So the the lighting, like you said, the organic shape of the furniture and just that marble it's really it's what gorgeous. stands out. It's, it's really just nice. a dream. But, but it's so different to the other rooms. When you move through... So I think the uh, my favourite room, that was your favourite, my favourite room is the dining room, the blue room, and it leads through into a kitchen which has got a beautiful wall and another one of my lovely designer friends, I want you fancy, Elle, we were talking about the blue plate wall and how beautiful it is and how much we need that in our lives. But... Um, the wallpaper is like a mural. It's like it's been completely hand decorated and it almost gives you that encompassing, loving sort of feeling when you're in that room, like you feel like you're having this warm hug and that's what you want when you're in a dining room. You don't want it to feel cold and drafty. And she's got, again, got a very sleek, organic light, but again, it's more of a formed light than a, I'd say, structured light, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's quite natural organic, isn't it? It's yeah, like, that's yeah. natural wood. Oh, I think it, yeah, it's like, it looks like a kind of bone, like mm. shape and material and texture. Obviously, it's not. And then, again, when you look at the dining room chairs that she's chosen, they are quite um, contemporary, really. I'd say they're a bit 70s, a bit reminiscent of like the egg kind of chair. And the table and, is beautiful. And beautiful. the table's got silicone chairs for me. Yeah, she, but I like that. I like the fact that she has paired those two because uh, it's it's almost like that uh, juxtaposition where you're like, well, I wouldn't have quite put that there, but actually it makes it visually interesting. So I think with that wallpaper, it could be a little bit like... Mm, too romantic home. and too frilly kind of thing. Yeah, Agreed. But I think that gives it a little bit of... It's like pairing, I don't know, party dress with DM boots. Think about it like that. Edgy. Edgy. <laughs> Hashtag edgy. Hashtag edge. Yeah, so I feel like... If you haven't seen it, Google Gwyneth Paltrow's home, particularly the tour in Architectural Digest, yes. you will not regret it. Get a cuppa. Watch it's that. Lovely. Yeah, it's, it's a feast for the eyes. eyes. Feast for the eyes. So yeah, I think that works quite well. Okay, so going back to our goodie bag of topics for this week, which are completely random and unrelated, we are going to move on to our next topic, which is neurodiversity. Oh my goodness. So for people that don't know what that is, what that means, what we're going to talk about, do you want to say a little bit something about that? Neurodiversity is the spectrum that is made up of dyslexia, ADHD and autism and everything that falls within that spectrum. I am dyslexic and have been diagnosed being dyslexic in the last 15 years. Both of my children are dyslexic and then only from doing a little bit more research I found that 40% of people with dyslexia are diagnosed with ADHD and have that sort of trait. But it's massively undiagnosed in women, HD, because lots of women come, the ADHD traits come out as more perfectionism as opposed to attention seeking, not listening, that typical thing you think of a six year old boy fidgeting in the classroom, which is actually quite an urban myth. So the reason I want to talk about neurodiversity, because I feel like it's a subject that doesn't really fit into any kind of um I don't want to say box but that's making it a binary thing I feel like it doesn't fit within any particular subject and it is the core I believe of many true creatives I know a lot of the people that I speak to struggle with dyslexia and um have ADHD or on the autistic spectrum but I feel like within our uh, current creative world it's not always embraced it's seen as not necessarily a negative, but oh, oh, you're dyslexic, so that means you can't do X, Y, or Z. Whereas I think it needs to be like, 
No, no, if you are dyslexic, it's like a superpower, and that's the way that I have sort of worked, looked at it. Um, so yeah, it's just something that I wanted to sort of discuss and put out there, because I know a lot of people are working through this that are similar age to us, like they're in their midlife, they've gone through their school and their childhood days, and um, you know have struggled day to day at school because they were told they're not academic, that they struggled with their English, struggled with maths, but then have gone on to do some really creative and amazing things, but still have this nagging feeling that they're not quite good enough and they've always got to prove themselves because they're not in that academic sphere. And I feel like it's okay to not fit into that academic box. And the system in terms of the school system, unless you do fit into that academic box, you're almost it's like this, I like my way or the highway is in my way is the academic box, the highways. Oh, don't worry, you're creative. When I feel like that's such an, an understatement. Am I making sense? You yeah. are, completely. Because even within a family, obviously you and I are sisters, I fit in the academic box and that was something we were always compared about. And so I don't 100%. know how that was like for you growing up. So yeah, so like mum used to say to me, oh, don't worry, you're just not academic. When I couldn't get like the times tables or not the times or the reading for like the millionth time. I remember like sitting down and doing spellings and she was getting so frustrated. I was in and getting frustrated and I was like, okay, well, if she's telling me I'm not academic, I'm just not academic. So when it came to the stage of doing like GCSEs and then A-levels and all that kind of stuff, I didn't even think about university because I was just said, oh, I'm not academic. That's where it goes. But actually... And again, there wasn't so many creative courses when I was younger. It was fairly academic road. And I wasn't really interested in continuing my education in that way. I wanted to get out there and get hands-on experience. But I feel like not a lot is changing in terms of the messaging that's coming from schools and coming from the educational side of things. I know with both of my boys, it's always pushed like the academic side of things and not so much the creative side of things. And I feel like there's a big divide. I mean, even to the point of like with the recent lockdown, look how little funding and how little thought was given to the arts. I mean, they weren't given any support. I know lots of people in that creative world, the set stylists, lighting people, the people that actually design the sets, the people make the sets, the people that make the costumes, the actual dancers and the producers. They were literally not even thought about within that whole section but now that the world has come back to working, where are all the, you know, where is everybody going to go at Christmas? They're going to go and see a show. But no, no thought has been put into those. They're just sort of picked up and put down. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, there's no support there. There's and no there support. The scandal wasn't there during the lockdown when the government released that poster of a ballerina who was going to retrain. A poster yes. of a ballerina to retrain as a computer programmer. That's what I mean. And the, the two, that cause. The two are just so different. And it's like, I feel like as a creative industry, we are... Valued less. Yes. And mm. we're just a secondary thing. It's like, what we have is a gift. It's like, we didn't ask for it, but I'm so blessed and grateful that I have it. And people think you're lucky to have it, but it falls on top of being academic. And it doesn't work like that. You either, you know, you either have that skill or you don't have it. And if I was a brilliant mathematician, I feel like I would be celebrated, or we as a creative world, as a, sorry, as a more binary world, would celebrate that a lot more. And I, because we're not, it's seen as, a, oh, that's a nice to have. It's okay. Because it's tangible, and I think academics can be measured by grades. So people have Again, a piece of yeah. paper or a certificate to say, you've achieved this. But if you have a vision like you do, you're able to look at something and say, visually, that's not right. I can make this better by doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. People don't know how to measure that. But only since you found 
the career you're in now, has that been given the value that it deserves? So what my point is, how do we stop this happening for future generations? Like, how do we stop pushing these creative kids down a road that is not right for them and helping them to see that there is value in creatives and it's not a second rate job where you're only going to get paid you have to accept the fact you're going to be on, I don't know, £15 an hour and someone's always going to rip off your designs. I know lots of my maker friends are scared, A, put their self out there, B, to put their design work out there because it's going to get stolen. There's no protection for that. I'm mean, going to a whole nother reel of it now. But you can see how passionate I am about it. And that's why I feel like it needs more airtime. I was just going to ask you that as a designer, how do you work with your dyslexia in design? And, and like you said, you use it as a superpower, but... So I have two prongs of my dyslexia, which things that frustrate me. So all of my written work, I have an audio speaker. So all of my emails get read back to me and then I can hear where things don't sound right. And then I can go back and correct the spelling because for me, visually, I can't see the difference. But it's written down, the letters muddle. They literally muddle and I, I struggle with that. So having it read, spoken back to me by uh, my computer voice <laughs> and everyone laughs in the house, like, oh, God, turn it down. But it's so helpful for me because I can actually hear it. I can change it. But I think from a different perspective, when I start with design work, especially when we do our consultancy sessions and we go into people's houses and we look at a visual space, I say to people, it's a little bit like the, the I don't know if you've seen the Netflix series, The Queen's Gambit, which is all about... Um, chess player. Chess player. And she literally lays in bed at night and sees the pieces moving around. She visualises everything. And that is what happens to me. So when I'm working on a project, I will spend a week or so with just the elements of the room moving around, moving around, chip chopping and changing. And it's all literally done in my head. And that's because I can think in multi, multi levels. So I think in that way, it is, it is a massive blessing to me. Mm, I definitely think so. And it seems that it, it lends itself to creativity in a way. Yeah, 100%. Well, I think I remember reading a stat somewhere, there was an architect's agency in New York that would look for people who were dyslexic who had ADHD because again for that purely for that trait because they think differently and they can look at spaces and it works completely differently but what taking that point those kind of those kind of avenues were never open to me when I was in education it should have been oh my god you're dyslexic why don't we take you down this path have you looked at architecture have you looked at you know doing design work have you looked at space planning those kind of things were never suggested and again I am you know, I came out of the school system in the 90s, 80s. That was my kind of era. So it probably is a lot better now. But just going through it with my children, it's not as, I don't know, it's not as evolved as we think it is. Not at all. And I know that you were diagnosed in school, but also the fight you had for your children to actually be diagnosed. Because until they were diagnosed, you couldn't get them the help that they would need. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And even then, the help that they need is not drug-based, you know, if, if you go, so this is ridiculous, so if you want to test for dyslexia, you go to somebody who has trained to be a dyslexia um, assessment lady, it's a lady we go to, <laughs> that's not the assessor, <laughs> yeah, an assessor, that's it, I couldn't think of the word, it's an assessor, so she spends two hours, she goes through a checklist, that's it, part of the same neurodiverse spectrum is ADHD, and you have to go and see a medical professional, how is that even possible? It's like saying, you know, you've got a problem with your ear and a problem with your foot, but the problem with your foot is different. It's not connected to your body. It's all part of the same thing. It's all the, it's all connected and linked. And still we start looking at these issues with one mind and one vision. I just don't feel like we're going to get anywhere. And I'm really passionate about it. And I feel like 
you know, it's up to us in the creative industry to start speaking out and not being embarrassed about the fact that you're dyslexic. I'm not even in the creative industry, you know, I'm not saying that everybody who's dyslexic is creative, but I think it's up to us to start saying, yeah, I am dyslexic. I mean, don't have to announce it, but I'm just saying that it shouldn't be something that you hide. I know ADHD has massive stigmas attached to it and it's, you know, it goes along that road of people thinking, that A, you can't concentrate or anything or that actually I work on five projects at the same time and go down to levels of detail on all of those at varying different points. I can hold that kind of information. So, yeah, I think that sort of covers it a little bit more. And Well, I think it's good to, to highlight it and put a spotlight on it. And like you say, to just share with people that you are successful, you are creative, all that you are, and this is part of who you are, and it's not something that holds you back in any yeah. case. It's something that's that helps you in your everyday life. It's part of it's part, part of you. Yeah, exactly. And I think it should. I think you know we need to be a bit more open about it and embrace it a little bit more. And you know, generally think about where your creative products are coming from. I think that's another thing that I'm really passionate about. There's so many young makers out there who. I know pre-lockdown when we used to go to Milan, we used to go to Saloni, they have a whole separate section of up and coming. And it's basically a lot of student designers that go in there and they release their new products. They design a chair, they design a bed. And it was full of, I'm not going to say, but one one part of the world, (laughs) people going in there and taking pictures and taking mentions to copy their work. And I cannot tell you, how frustrating it was to stand and watch that. Someone had made this beautiful chair and you knew it was going to be like the next hottest thing and there'd be five or six people in there like measuring it up, taking pictures and you know it's going to be rinsed and repeated and it will be in H&M. So I think just trying this, especially coming up to Christmas and when you're doing a project, just try and think a little bit more about where that product has come from, like who's who's designed it, what's the creative process and, you know, ask those questions a little bit more because... I think that's the only way that we can make this industry better and, um, you know, the creative people more open because what I am, what I don't want to see is that kind of feeling of someone putting their, imagine their creativity is a plate of food and they're putting their arm around it with their fork guarding it. You know, what I want to do is see people open up and share more of their creativity because they know it's not going to get ripped off. They know it's not going to be seen and mass produced in China and sold all over. But that goes back to what we were discussing about the global trends and individual makers feeling like there's an expiration date on their unique designs because it's not going to be long. Because if they get success, then ultimately that means they're going to be copied and reproduced by High Street, which individual makers and independents cannot compete with price-wise, volume-wise. So they know there's an end date on this on their shelf life. They're always going to be coming up with a new thing, and that must be exhausting. Well, I was having this exact conversation this morning with a small maker, and she was saying, like, all they're interested, all the press are interested in is new, 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 new. And it's like, you know, to which point I suggested, well, why don't you break your collection down into, like, three sections so you just release it slowly? And, and you know, that was an idea. But I feel like the first step is to just realise that creative people are mainly underpaid and undervalued and what we do is we do it with our heart and soul what we put into our design work and when you get a design from anybody or a product from anybody when you get one of our bathrooms it is literally been in my head for two weeks I've hand chosen all of those products I know every single element will work together beautifully it is completely bespoke and that is what 
that is what any kind of craft is, and I think that is undervalued in our mass consumer world. But and I'm don't you think the responsibility should fall on those huge companies and businesses yes that are exploiting the work of the creatives and they have responsibility to credit the creative pay the creative if they want to produce it on a mass scale then they should be paying for copyright rather than just yeah yeah yeah. but rewind where do those mass where do those companies who's head of those mass companies the academic people, the people that used to sit next to in the classroom. And because they've sat there and been told by the teacher, you know, it's myself and, I don't know, for example, a girl called Sarah sat next to She's the academic, I'm the creative. The teacher said, don't worry, Emma, you're not academic, you're creative, don't worry. So she has also seen that behaviour. She's like, there's an adult telling a creative that she doesn't have to worry, this is not her they thing, have value. they don't have value. And then that transpires down as she then becomes a CEO of a big corporate company, for example, H&M. She's like, been, she, it's, it's learned behaviour, I don't have to value a creative. So that's my point. And we've yeah. hit the nail on the head, we've got without knowing it, um, that it comes back to that you know, it's so inbuilt into society yeah. that you don't think the businesses are ever going to get them on their own without no. creative standing up for themselves. Exactly. But I think if every single creative just tries and hammers that home in your negotiations with bigger brands, making them see the value, making them see the journey of your product, uh, if this 20-minute podcast, half an hour podcast makes you think you know, that you value the person that cuts your hair, not necessarily design-wise, but all the creatives, people that cut your hair, you know, the people that do the beautiful gardens, when you go to the theatre, you go and see a musical, think about their journey in the last six months. That's my, yeah, that's my kind of goal. I think it's a very wordy message, and hopefully people will value and protect the creatives. Yeah, I just, I just, yeah, I think that's where, what needs to happen. Um, Definitely. And donate where you can to these lovely people by <laughs> sending them mince pies and well wishes. <laughs> so that's it, really. I think I'm sorry. It's uh, a random, it's a very topic, random mix, and I feel like we've gone. We've ended on a heavy note. Okay, so that brings us to the end. Next week we'll be back. If there's anything you want us to hear us talk about, just drop Emma an email. Emma at EmmaMirrorStyling.com or DM on Instagram or voice note me I'd love to get some voice notes I do love a voice note and I think next week will be our last podcast in this season of the season guys <laughs> if the season plays <laughs> up there will be a rap party <laughs> what have you got <laughs> the sausage wraps and bacon mince party downstairs that'll be nice no I think we're going to be back then in January with season 2 I'm so excited thanks for joining us guys and we'll see you next week bye thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoyed our musings on interiors i'd love to hear from you catch me on instagram and tiktok at emma.merry.styling if you've got a project you'd like to discuss then head over to emma and you can book a consulting session with me bye.